Section 30 of The World as Will and Idea. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Pamela Krantz. The World as Will and Idea, Volume 1 by Arthur Schopenhauer. Translated by R. B. Haldane and J. Kemp. Fourth Book the world as will second aspect the assertion and denial of the will to live when self-consciousness has been attained section fifty four the first three books will it is hoped have conveyed the distinct and certain knowledge that the world as idea is the complete mirror of the will in which it knows itself in ascending grades of distinctness and completeness the highest of which is man whose nature, however, receives its complete expression only through the whole connected series of his actions. The self-conscious connection of these actions is made possible by reason, which enables a man constantly to survey the whole in the abstract. The will, which considered purely in itself, is without knowledge, and is merely a blind, incessant impulse as we see it appear in unorganized and vegetable nature in their laws, and also in the vegetative part of our own life, receives through the addition of the world as idea, which is developed in subjection to it, the knowledge of its own willing and of what it is that it wills. And this is nothing else than the world as idea, life, precisely as it exists. Therefore we called the phenomenal world the mirror of the will, its objectivity. And since what the will wills is always life, just because life is nothing but the representation of that willing for the idea, it is all one and a mere pleonism if, instead of simply saying the will, we say the will to live. Will is the thing in itself, the inner content, the essence of the world. Life, the visible world, the phenomenon, is only the mirror of the will. Therefore, life accompanies the will as inseparably as the shadow accompanies the body. And if will exists, so will life, the world, exist. Life is, therefore, assured to the will to live. And so long as we are filled with the will to live, we need have no fear for our existence, even in the presence of death it is true we see the individual come into being and pass away but the individual is only phenomenal exists only for the knowledge which is bound to the principle of sufficient reason to principio individuationis certainly for this kind of knowledge the individual receives his life as a gift rises out of nothing then suffers the loss of this gift through death and returns again to nothing but we desire to consider life philosophically, that is, according to its ideas, and in this sphere we shall find that neither the will, the thing in itself in all phenomena, nor the subject of knowing, that which perceives all phenomena, is affected at all by birth or by death. Birth and death belong merely to the phenomenon of will, thus to life. And it is essential to this to exhibit itself in individuals which come into being and pass away as fleeting phenomena appearing in the form of time, phenomena of that which in itself knows no time, 
but must exhibit itself precisely in the way we have said in order to objectify its peculiar nature birth and death belong in like manner to life and hold the balance as reciprocal conditions of each other or if one likes the expression as poles of the whole phenomenon of life the wisest of all mythologies the indian expresses this by giving to the very god that symbolizes destruction death as brahma the most sinful and the lowest god of the trimurti symbolizes generation coming into being and vishnu maintaining or preserving by giving i say to siva as an attribute not only the necklace of skulls but also the lingam the symbol of generation which appears here as the counterpart of death thus signifying that generation and death are essentially correlatives which reciprocally neutralize and annul each other it was precisely the same sentiment that led the greeks and romans to adorn their costly sarcophagi just as we see them now with feasts dances marriages the chase fights of wild beasts bacchanalians etc thus with representations of the full ardour of life which they place before us not only in such revels and sports but also in sensual groups and even go so far as to represent the sexual intercourse of satyrs and goats clearly the aim was to point in the most impressive manner away from the death of the mourned individual to the immortal life of nature and thus to indicate though without abstract knowledge that the whole of nature is the phenomenon and also the fulfillment of the will to live the form of this phenomenon is time space and causality and by means of these individuation which carries with it that the individual must come into being and pass away but this no more affects the will to live of whose manifestation the individual is as it were only a particular example or specimen then the death of an individual injures the whole of nature for it is not the individual but only the species that nature cares for and for the preservation of which she so earnestly strives providing for it with the utmost prodigality through the vast surplus of the seed and the great strength of the fructifying impulse the individual on the contrary neither has nor can have any value for nature for her kingdom is infinite time and infinite space and in these infinite multiplicity of possible individuals therefore she is always ready to let the individual fall and hence it is not only exposed to destruction in a thousand ways by the most insignificant accident but originally destined for it and conducted towards it by nature herself from the moment it has served its end of maintaining the species thus nature naively expresses the great truth that only the ideas not the individuals have properly speaking reality that is our complete objectivity of the will now since man is nature itself and indeed nature at the highest grade of its self-consciousness but nature is only the objectified will to live the man who has comprehended and retained this point of view may well console himself when contemplating his own death and that of his friends by turning his eyes to the immortal life of nature which he himself is this is the significance of siva with the lingam and of those ancient sarcophagi with their pictures of glowing life 
which say to the morning beholder, Natura non contristatur. That generation and death are to be regarded as something belonging to life, and essential to this phenomenon of the will, arises also from the fact that they both exhibit themselves merely as higher powers of the expression of that in which all the rest of life consists. This is through and through nothing else than the constant change of matter in the fixed permanence of form, and this is what constitutes the transitoriness of the individual and the permanence of the species. Constant nourishment and renewal differ from generation only in degree, and constant excretion differs only in degree from death. The first shows itself most simply and distinctly in the plant. The plant is throughout a constant recurrence of the same impulse of its simplest fiber, which groups itself into leaf and branch. It is a systematic aggregate of similar plants supporting each other, whose constant reproduction is its single impulse. It ascends to the full satisfaction of this tendency through the grades of its metamorphosis, finally to the blossom and fruit, that compendium of its existence and effort in which it now attains, by a short way, to that which is its single aim, and at a stroke produces a thousandfold what up till then it effected only in the particular case, the repetition of itself. Its earlier growth and development stands in the same relation to its fruit as writing stands to printing. With the animal it is clearly quite the same. The process of nourishing is a constant reproduction. The process of reproduction is a higher power of nourishing. The pleasure which accompanies the act of procreation is a higher power of the agreeableness of the sense of life. On the other hand, excretion, the constant exhalation and throwing off of matter, is the same as that which, at a higher power, death is the contrary of generation and if here we are always content to retain the form without lamenting the discarded matter we ought to bear ourselves in the same way if in death the same thing happens in a higher degree and to the whole as takes place daily and hourly in a partial manner in excretion if we are indifferent to the one we ought not to shrink from the other Therefore, from this point of view, it appears just as perverse to desire the continuance of an individuality, which will be replaced by other individuals, as to desire the permanence of matter, which will be replaced by other matter. It appears just as foolish to embalm the body, as it would be carefully to preserve its excrement. As to the individual consciousness which is bound to the individual body, it is absolutely interrupted every day by sleep. Deep sleep is, while it lasts, in no way different from death, into which, in fact, it often passes continuously, as in the case of freezing to death. It differs only with regard to the future, the awaking. Death is a sleep in which individuality is forgotten. Everything else wakes again, or rather, never slept. Footnote. The following remark may assist those for whom it is not too subtle to understand clearly that the individual is only the phenomenon, not the thing in itself. Every individual is, on the one hand, the subject of knowing, that is, the complemental condition of the possibility of the whole objective world, and on the other hand, 
a particular phenomenon of will the same will which objectifies itself in everything but this double nature of our being does not rest upon a self-existing unity otherwise it would be possible for us to be conscious of ourselves in ourselves and independent of the objects of knowledge and will now this is by no means possible for as soon as we turn into ourselves to make the attempt and seek for once to know ourselves fully by means of introspective reflection we are lost in a bottomless void we find ourselves like the hollow glass globe from out of which a voice speaks whose cause is not to be found in it and whereas we desired to comprehend ourselves we find with a shudder nothing but a vanishing spectre End footnote. above all things we must distinctly recognize that the form of the phenomenon of will the form of life or reality is really only the present not the future nor the past the latter are only in the conception exist only in the connection of knowledge so far as it follows the principle of sufficient reason no man has ever lived in the past and none will live in the future the present alone is the form of all life and is its sure possession which can never be taken from it the present always exists together with its content both remain fixed without wavering like the rainbow on the waterfall for life is firm and certain in the will and the present is firm and certain in life certainly if we reflect on the thousands of years that are past of the millions of men who lived in them we ask what were they what has become of them but on the other hand we need only recall our own past life and renew its scenes vividly in our imagination and then ask again what was all this what has become of it as it is with it so is it with the life of those millions or should we suppose that the past could receive a new existence because it has been sealed by death our own past the most recent part of it and even yesterday is now no more than an empty dream of the fancy and such is the past of all those millions what was what is the will of which life is the mirror and knowledge free from will which beholds it clearly in that mirror whoever has not yet recognized this or will not recognize it must add to the question asked above as to the fate of past generations of men this question also why he the questioner is so fortunate as to be conscious of this costly fleeting and only real present while those hundreds of generations of men even the heroes and philosophers of those ages have sunk into the night of the past and have thus become nothing but he his insignificant ego actually exists or more shortly though somewhat strangely why this now his now is just now and was not long ago since he asks such strange questions he regards his existence and his time as independent of each other and the former as projected into the latter he assumes indeed two nows one which belongs to the object the other which belongs to the subject and marvels at the happy accident of their coincidence but in truth only the point of contact of the object the form of which is time with the subject which has no mode of the principle of sufficient reason as its form constitutes the present 
as is shown in the essay on the principle of sufficient reason now all object is the will so far as it has become idea and the subject is the necessary correlative of the object but real objects are only in the present the past and the future contain only conceptions and fancies therefore the present is the essential form of the phenomenon of the will and inseparable from it the present alone is that which always exists and remains immovable that which empirically apprehended is the most transitory of all presents itself to the metaphysical vision which sees beyond the forms of empirical perception as that which alone endures the nunc stans of the schoolman the source and the supporter of its content is the will to live or the thing in itself which we are that which constantly becomes and passes away in that it has either already been or is still to be belongs to the phenomenon as such on account of its forms which make coming into being and passing away possible accordingly we must think quid fuit quod est quid erit quod fuit and take it in the strict meaning of the words thus understand not simile but idem for life is certain to the will and the present is certain to life thus it is that every one can say i am once for all lord of the present and through all eternity it will accompany me as my shadow therefore i do not wonder where it has come from and how it happens that it is exactly now we might compare time to a constantly revolving sphere the half that was always sinking would be the past that which was always rising would be the future but the indivisible point at the top where the tangent touches would be the extensionless present as the tangent does not revolve with the sphere neither does the present the point of contact of the object the form of which is time with the subject which has no form because it does not belong to the knowable but is the condition of all that is knowable or time is like an unceasing stream and the present a rock on which the stream breaks itself but does not carry away with it the will as thing in itself is just as little subordinate to the principle of sufficient reason as the subject of knowledge which finally in a certain regard is the will itself or its expression and as life its own phenomenon is assured to the will so is the present the single form of real life therefore we have not to investigate the past before life nor the future after death we have rather to know the present the one form in which the will manifests itself footnote scholastici do quarunt quod eiternitas non sit temporis sine fine aut principio successio sed nunc stans id est idem nabis nuncese quod eret nunc adamo id est inter nunc et punc nullum esse differentiam hobbes leviathan chapter forty six and footnote it will not escape from the will but neither will a will escape from it if therefore life as it is satisfies whoever affirms it in every way may regard it with confidence as endless and banish the fear of death as an illusion that inspires him with the foolish dread that he can ever be robbed of the present and foreshadows a time in which there is no present 
an illusion with regard to time analogous to the illusion with regard to space through which everyone imagines the position on the globe he happens to occupy as above and all other places as below in the same way everyone links the present to his own individuality and imagines that all present is extinguished with it that then past and future might be without a present but as on the surface of the globe every place is above so the form of all life is the present and to fear death because it robs us of the present is just as foolish as to fear that we may slip down from the round globe upon which we have now the good fortune to occupy the upper surface the present is the form essential to the objectification of the will it cuts time which extends infinitely in both directions as a mathematical point and stands immovably fixed like an everlasting midday with no cool evening as the actual sun burns without intermission while it only seems to sink into the bosom of night therefore if a man fears death as his annihilation it is just as if he were to think that the sun cries out at evening woe is me for i go down into eternal night footnote in eckermann's conversations of goethe volume one page one sixty one goethe says our spirit is a being of a nature quite indestructible and its activity continues from eternity to eternity it is like the sun which seems to set only to our earthly eyes but which in reality never sets but shines on unceasingly goethe has taken the simile from me not i from him without doubt he used it in this conversation which was held in eighteen twenty four in consequence of a possibly unconscious reminiscence of the above passage for it occurs in the first edition page four o one in exactly the same words and it is also repeated at page five twenty eight of that edition as at the close of section sixty five of the present work the first edition was sent to him in december eighteen eighteen and in march eighteen nineteen when i was at naples he sent me his congratulations by letter through my sister and enclosed a piece of paper upon which he had noted the places of certain passages which had specially pleased him thus he had read my book End footnote. and conversely whoever is oppressed with the burden of life whoever desires life and affirms it but abhors its torments and especially can no longer endure the hard lot that has fallen to himself such a man has no deliverance to hope for from death and cannot right himself by suicide the cool shades of orcus allure him only with the false appearance of a haven of rest the earth rolls from day into night the individual dies but the sun itself shines without intermission an eternal noon life is assured to the will to live the form of life is an endless present no matter how the individuals the phenomena of the idea arise and pass away in time like fleeting dreams thus even already suicide appears to us as a vain and therefore a foolish action when we have carried our investigation further it will appear to us in a still less favorable light dogmas change and our knowledge is deceptive but nature never errs her procedure is sure and she never conceals it everything is entirely in nature and nature is entire in everything she has her centre in every brute it has surely found its way into existence and it will surely find its way out of it 
in the meantime it lives fearless and without care in the presence of annihilation supported by the consciousness that it is nature herself and imperishable as she is man alone carries about with him in abstract conceptions the certainty of his death yet this can only trouble him very rarely when for a single moment some occasion calls it up to his imagination against the mighty voice of nature reflection can do little in man as in the brute which does not think the certainty that springs from his inmost consciousness that he himself is nature the world predominates as a lasting frame of mind and on account of this no man is observably disturbed by the thought of certain and never distant death but lives as if he would live for ever indeed this is carried so far that we may say that no one has really a lively conviction of the certainty of his death otherwise there would be no great difference between his frame of mind and that of a condemned criminal every one recognizes that certainty in the abstract and theoretically but lays it aside like other theoretical truths which are not applicable to practice without really receiving it into his living consciousness whoever carefully considers this peculiarity of human character will see that the psychological explanations of it from habit and acquiescence in the inevitable are by no means sufficient and that its true explanation lies in the deeper ground we have given the same fact explains the circumstance that at all times and among all peoples dogmas of some kind or other relating to the continued existence of the individual after death arise and are believed in although the evidence in support of them must always be very insufficient and the evidence against them forcible and varied but in truth this really requires no proof but is recognized by the healthy understanding as a fact and confirmed by the confidence that nature never lies any more than she errs but openly exhibits and naively expresses her action and her nature while only we ourselves obscure it by our folly in order to establish what is agreeable to our limited point of view but this that we have brought to clearest consciousness that although the particular phenomenon of the will has a temporal being and end the will itself as thing in itself is not affected by it nor yet the correlative of all object the knowing but never known subject and that life is always assured to the will to live this is not to be numbered with the doctrines of immortality for permanence has no more to do with the will or with the pure subject of knowing the eternal eye of the world than transitoriness for both are predicates that are only valid in time and the will and the pure subject of knowing lie outside time therefore the egoism of the individual this particular phenomenon of will enlightened by the subject of knowing can extract as little nourishment and consolation for his wish to endure through endless time from the view we have expressed as he could from the knowledge that after his death the rest of the eternal world would continue to exist which is just the expression of the same view considered objectively and therefore temporally for every individual is transitory only as phenomenon but as thing in itself is timeless and therefore endless but it is also only as phenomenon that an individual is distinguished from the other things of the world as thing in itself he is the will which appears in all and death destroys the illusion which separates his consciousness from that of the rest this is immortality 
his exemption from death which belongs to him only as thing in itself is for the phenomenon one with the immortality of the rest of the external world footnote this is expressed in the veda by saying that when a man dies his sight becomes one with the sun his smell with the earth his taste with water his hearing with the air his speech with fire etc etc upnekat volume one page two forty nine at sequence and also by the fact that in a special ceremony the dying man gives over his senses and all his faculties singly to his son in whom they are now supposed to live on upnekat volume two page eighty two at sequence and footnote hence also it arises that although the inward and merely felt consciousness of that which we have raised to distinct knowledge is indeed as we have said sufficient to prevent the thought of death from poisoning the life of the rational being because this consciousness is the basis of that love of life which maintains everything living and enables it to live on as if there were no such thing as death so long as it is face to face with life and turns its attention to it yet it will not prevent the individual from being seized with the fear of death and trying in every way to escape from it when it presents itself to him in some particular real case or even only in his imagination and he is compelled to contemplate it for just as so long as his knowledge was directed to life as such he was obliged to recognize immortality in it so when death is brought before his eyes he is obliged to recognize it as that which it is the temporal end of the particular temporal phenomenon what we fear in death is by no means the pain for it lies clearly on this side of death and moreover we often take refuge in death from pain just as on the contrary we sometimes endure the most fearful suffering merely to escape death for a while although it would be quick and easy thus we distinguish pain and death as two entirely different evils what we fear in death is the end of the individual which it openly professes itself to be and since the individual is a particular objectification of the will to live itself its whole nature struggles against death now when feeling thus exposes us helpless reason can yet step in and for the most part overcome its adverse influence for it places us upon a higher standpoint from which we no longer contemplate the particular but the whole therefore a philosophical knowledge of the nature of the world which extended to the point we have now reached in this work but went no farther could even at this point of view overcome the terror of death in the measure in which reflection had power over direct feeling in the given individual a man who had thoroughly assimilated the truths we have already advanced but had not come to know either from his own experience or from a deeper insight that constant suffering is essential to life who found satisfaction in all that he wished in life and could calmly and deliberately desire that his life as he had hitherto known it should endure for ever or repeat itself ever anew and whose love of life was so great that he willingly and gladly accepted all the hardships and miseries to which it is exposed for the sake of its pleasures such a man would stand with firm-knit bones on the well-rounded enduring earth and would have nothing to fear armed with the knowledge we have given him he would await with indifference the death that hastens towards him on the wings of time 
he would regard it as a false illusion an impotent spectre which frightens the weak but has no power over him who knows that he is himself the will of which the whole world is the objectification or copy and that therefore he is always certain of life and also of the present the peculiar and only form of the phenomenon of the will he could not be terrified by an endless past or future in which he would not be for this he would regard as the empty delusion of the web of maya thus he would no more fear death than the sun fears the night in the bhagavad-gita krishna thus raises the mind of his young pupil arjuna when seized with compunction at the sight of the arrayed hosts somewhat as xerxes was he loses heart and desires to give up the battle in order to avert the death of so many thousands krishna leads him to this point of view and the death of those thousands can no longer restrain him he gives the sign for battle this point of view is also expressed by goethe's prometheus especially when he says here sit i form mankind in my own image a race like to myself to suffer and to weep rejoice and joy and heed thee not as i the philosophy of bruno and that of spinoza might also lead any one to this point of view whose conviction was not shaken and weakened by their errors and imperfections that of bruno has properly no ethical theory at all and the theory contained in the philosophy of spinoza does not really proceed from the inner nature of his doctrine but is merely tacked on to it by means of weak and palpable sophisms though in itself it is praiseworthy and beautiful finally there are many men who would occupy this point of view if their knowledge kept pace with their will that is if free from all illusion they were in a position to become clearly and distinctly themselves for this is for knowledge the point of view of the complete assertion of the will to live that the will asserts itself means that while in its objectivity that is in the world and life its own nature is completely and distinctly given it as idea this knowledge does not by any means check its volition but this very life so known is willed as such by the will with knowledge consciously and deliberately just as up to this point it willed it as blind effort without knowledge the opposite of this the denial of the will to live shows itself if when that knowledge is attained volition ends because the particular known phenomena no longer acts as motives for willing but the whole knowledge of the nature of the world the mirror of the will which has grown up through the comprehension of the ideas becomes a quieter of the will and thus free the will suppresses itself these quite unfamiliar conceptions are difficult to understand when expressed in this general way but it is hoped they will become clear through the exposition we shall give presently with special reference to action of the phenomena in which on the one hand the assertion in its different grades and on the other hand the denial expresses itself for both proceed from knowledge yet not from abstract knowledge which is expressed in words but from living knowledge which is expressed in action and behavior alone and is independent of the dogmas which at the same time occupy the reason as abstract knowledge to exhibit them both and bring them to distinct knowledge of the reason can alone be my aim and not to prescribe or recommend the one or the other which would be as foolish as it would be useless for the will in itself is absolutely free and entirely self-determining 
and for it there is no law but before we go on to the exposition referred to we must first explain and more exactly define this freedom and its relation to necessity and also with regard to the life the assertion and denial of which is our problem we must insert a few general remarks connected with the will and its objects through all this we shall facilitate the apprehension of the inmost nature of the knowledge we are aiming at of the ethical significance of methods of action since as has been said this whole work is only the unfolding of a single thought it follows that all its parts have the most intimate connection with each other not merely that each part stands in a necessary relation to what immediately precedes it and only presupposes a recollection of that by the reader as is the case with all philosophies which consist merely of a series of inferences but that every part of the whole work is related to every other part and presupposes it it is therefore necessary that the reader should remember not only what has just been said but all the earlier parts of the work so that he may be able to connect them with what he is reading however much may have intervened plato also makes this demand upon his readers through the intricate digressions of his dialogues in which he only returns to the leading thought after long episodes which illustrate and explain it in our case this demand is necessary for the breaking up of our one single thought into its many aspects is indeed the only means of imparting it though not essential to the thought itself but merely an artificial form the division of four principal points of view into four books and the most careful bringing together of all that is related and homogeneous assists the exposition and its comprehension yet the material absolutely does not admit of an advance in a straight line such as the progress of history but necessitates a more complicated exposition this again makes a repeated study of the book necessary for thus alone does the connection of all the parts with each other become distinct and only then do they all mutually throw light upon each other and become quite clear footnote confer chapter forty one to forty four of supplement End footnote. End of section 30, The World as Will and Idea, Volume 1, Fourth Book, The World as Will, Second Aspect, Section 54. Recording by Pamela Krantz.